Advent season is such a sweet time of year. I think it was an especially sweet time this morning. Oh, I forgot. We're dismissing our kids to Children's Church, so you are dismissed. Um, I, have, I got a chance to reconnect with uh, a good friend this morning, Noel from Uganda, is here this morning worshiping with us. Noel, welcome. We're glad you're here. We got to uh, connect with some sweet friends from South America this morning, uh, so we're happy to see them here as well. Uh, God has been so faithful to our church, and it's so neat that we are part of the global body of Christ. Uh, the church is so much bigger than what happens in this little room, and yet what happens in this little room is, is very, very important for all of us, for our growth in grace. So let's give our attention to the reading of God's word John chapter 1. We're going to be reading the first five verses, but we're really going to focus this morning on verses 4 and 5. This is God's Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's go to God in prayer. O Lord our God, we thank you for the light of hope, the light of grace, the light of salvation, which you have given us in the person of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray, O oh Lord, that you would speak to us now by the power of your Holy Spirit, that you would give us ears to hear what you are saying to us through your word. We pray that you would speak, Lord God, for we, your servants, are listening. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I'd like to start with a little experiment this morning. Go with me if you will. Everyone here, close your eyes, okay? Close your eyes. Close your eyes. Don't worry. It's not an altar call. Uh, we're not going to invite uh, the band back on stage to do Just As I Am 85 times, okay? Just track with me here. Now, with your eyes still closed, I want you to put your hands over your eyes. Okay? Now, hands over the eyes. Everybody, hands over the eyes. I want you to silently count to 10. Keyword, silently. We're still Presbyterians, okay? Silently count to ten. Okay, now open your eyes. Make sure everyone on your row is still awake. Is everybody still awake? Okay, good. Here's the question. Can you imagine living in total darkness? Can you imagine living your life in a world without light. I used to have a friend named David who was blind. I say that he used to be my friend because he went to heaven about 20 years ago. Even though David's eyes were open, he couldn't see the light. He lived in a world shrouded in darkness. He couldn't walk down the street without help. Every Wednesday, I would go to David's apartment, and I would ring the bell, and he'd come down, and I'd walk him to our life group. 
he'd have a cane in one hand, you know, those kind of canes that go back and forth. And with the other hand, he would grip my elbow very, very tightly because without light, there's no direction. It was hard for him to pay for things at the store because he couldn't see the money in his wallet. You would have to arrange the bills in his billfold in chronological order, and then he would have to remember how much money was in his wallet and how much of each bill that he had. He couldn't pay for things with a a credit card or a debit card because he had no way of knowing whether the cashier was charging him the correct amount of money. Was this an honest cashier who would uh, be honorable and honest with him? Or would this be someone who would take advantage of the fact that David couldn't see what he was doing? Without light, there's no truth. He had a hard time sleeping because he had no sense of day or night. We, generally speaking, go to sleep when the sun goes down, and then we wake up again when the sun comes up in the morning. David would go to sleep in the darkness, and he would wake up in the darkness as well. Without light, there's no rest. We once went to see a New York Mets game together, and uh, it was great. Our whole life group went to see this game. And the great thing about going to see a Mets game, the first opening days of the year when it starts to be springtime in New York, is that the colors are so vibrant. I remember the grass being the most beautiful green grass that I'd ever seen. And the sky being the most incredible blue that I've ever seen. Uh, the Mets have seats that are orange, and I, just that, that color popping against the green and the blue. It was incredible. I tried to explain what I was seeing to David, but how do you explain the color green? How do you explain what the color blue is without using the word blue? Without light, there's no beauty. Can you imagine living life that way? I can't, and yet so many people do. For every physically blind person that we meet, there are hundreds, if not thousands, of spiritually blind people. Many of them, our friends and neighbors, live their entire lives without seeing a a single beam of spiritual light. Others, who were once enlightened, willingly closed their eyes to the light of Jesus and his gospel of grace, which, according to Hebrews 6, is an even greater tragedy than never seeing the light at all. Closer to home, how many of us turn a blind eye to sin? How many of us choose not to see poverty and injustice? How many of us choose not to see bullying and abuse? In our world, darkness takes many forms. Mass shootings, political corruption, natural disasters, uh, physical abuse, domestic abuse. Sometimes darkness looks like humanism and secularism. Sometimes it looks like moralism and legalism. Sometimes the darkness is out there in the world, and sometimes the darkness is in here, in our hearts. As Alexander Solzhenitsyn observed, 
the line dividing good and evil, or we might say the line dividing the light and the dark, cuts through the heart of every human being. That's the bad news. Our world can and often is a very dark place. But here's the good news. According to John, Jesus is the light of the world. At the very first Christmas, the light of the world stepped down into the darkness, opening our eyes so that we could see the glory of God shining in the face of that little infant, Jesus, as he was laying in a manger because there was no room for him in the inn. Jesus, the light of the world, allows us to see the world, the real world, as it really is for the very first time. Verse 4, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not overcome it. How does Jesus bring life to spiritually dead people? How does Jesus bring light to spiritually dark people? And how do these two themes, uh, light and life, two themes that are very, very prominent in the Gospel of John, come together in the person of Jesus? Here's the connection. Jesus is the light who brings life to the world. Just as the light of the sun, S-U-N, brings physical life to plants and animals and human beings, so also the light of the sun, S-O-N, Jesus, the Son of God, brings spiritual life to everyone who believes. So how does that happen? What does it mean? Can we speed up the process a little bit? Is there such a thing as sort of a spiritual tanning bed where we can step in and get all the light at once? Sort of a greenhouse effect. And how bright is the light of the world? Is it as bright as a spotlight? Is it as bright as a flashlight? Is it as bright as a a tiny flickering candle? These are some of the many questions that we'll be trying to answer today as we look at John 1, verses 4 and 5, part 2 of the Christmas story according to the Apostle John, who was Jesus' best friend. Last week, to recap for those of you who were out of town for Thanksgiving, we said that Jesus is the Word of God. We talked about eternity. In the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, always was, wasing the word. We talked about connectivity. In the beginning was the word, the logos, the theory of everything, the one in whom we live and move and have our being. We talked about community. The word was with God. We talked about divinity. The word was God. We talked about creativity. All things were made through him. This week, we're going to see four ways that Jesus, the light of the world, gives life to everyone who believes. If you're taking notes this morning, here's our outline. First, we'll see that Jesus is the light of revelation. Jesus is the light of revelation. Second, we'll see that Jesus is the light of navigation. 
third, we'll see that Jesus is the light of celebration. And fourth, and finally, we'll see that Jesus is the light of salvation. So revelation, navigation, celebration, and salvation. Jesus is the light who brings life to the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. That's the good news of the gospel. That's the good news of Christmas. It's good news for you if you believe. Let's take a closer look. Our first word is revelation. Jesus shines the light of revelation. Now, one of the most basic functions of, of light is revelation. Light reveals what darkness conceals. Ladies, if you want to find your purse in a dark room, you have to turn on the light. If you want to go for a, a drive and it's dark outside, you have to turn on your lights. If you want to read a book in a dark room, you have to turn on the lights. Are we sensing a theme here? Without light, we can't see clearly. Without light, we can't see the world as it really is. So how does Jesus show us the world as it really is? The answer is light. He gives us light, and in fact, the more light that we have, the more clearly we can see. Now, the first type of light, the most basic type of light, comes in the form of general revelation. We'll call that general revelation light. In Psalm 19, we read King David writing that the heavens declare the glory of God. In Romans chapter 1, the Apostle Paul picks up on that theme, saying that all people have access to the infinite beauty, complexity, and raw power of creation so that all of us are without excuse. All of us, no matter how much we know about the special revelation of God, and we'll get to that in a minute, all of us will be held accountable for what we do know based on the light of nature. All of us will be called to account for willingly closing our eyes to the existence of our Creator. Now, if that was true in the first century, how much more so how do, is it true today? How much more light do we have than the people who lived back then? Just this week, I was reading a story about Albert Einstein. Albert Einstein was a great lover of space. He was not a believer, though he was a theist, someone who believed in the existence of a God. Why? Because he looked to the heavens, he saw the stars, and he knew that the heavens declared the glory of God. Now, even with uh, 20th century telescope technology, Albert Einstein looked up at the stars in the heavens, and he estimated that there are approximately 10 octillion stars in the universe. That's a 10 with 27 zeros after it. Now, I'm not sure where he came up with that number, and I don't think anyone asked him because it's Einstein, and uh, people mostly just took his word for it when he guessed how many stars were in the sky. But 
think about the, the immensity of the galaxies, and we've only scratched the surface about what we know about the creation of all of those things which God has created. How about this? Have you ever been to a zoo? Have you ever been to an aquarium? Our family, we're kind of zoo-aquarium people. Zoos and aquariums declare the infinite creativity of God. Who could doubt the creativity of God as we look at the elephants and the rhinoceroses and the lions and the tigers and the bears? Oh my. Who created the sharks and the alligators? Who created the otters and the penguins? It was God. And they're glorious because God created them. Just this week, Kate and I were watching the Westminster Dog Show. We are dog lovers and Presbyterians, so it seemed like a right thing to do. <laughs> I couldn't believe the... Now, of course, there are different breedings and different things, but I, I just was completely blown away by the, the variety of dogs that we saw at that Westminster Dog Show. There were tall dogs and short dogs and black dogs and white dogs and striped dogs and spotted dogs. Some had short hair and some had long hair. It was absolutely mind-blowing, incredible. And I couldn't help but thinking, these dogs are declaring the glory of God. These dogs are not an accident. God created them. By their very existence, we know that God is good. A cold, hard, joyless God could not have created these majestic beings they make us laugh, they make us smile, they remind us that God is good. One scientist once described DNA as the language of God. Every chromosome, every strand of DNA and RNA, all of these microscopic uh, things with all of their genetic code, these things declare the glory of God. Remember verse 3, in all, thi all things were made through Jesus. And without Jesus was not anything made that was made. And so Jesus shines the light of revelation through general revelation. It gets, it gets better. As bright as general revelation is, Jesus has given us, given us something even brighter, and that's special revelation. Now, if general revelation is like a flashlight, then special revelation is like staring directly into the sun. Later on, after we get to the end of our Advent season, we're going to continue on in the book of John, and our bulletin cover is going to depict the Apostle John, and you'll notice in that depiction that John is depicted uh, with an eagle. If you go to, to old churches in big cities that have different stone carvings on them, you'll often see the Apostle John depicted as an eagle. Why? Because the legend is that the eagle is the only bird that can fly directly into the sun without being blinded. And so also, through the special revelation of Jesus, the light of the world, we too can stare directly into the sun. 
and not be blinded at all, but have light and life and hope. How would we know the depth of God's love apart from Jesus? How would we know that God loves sinners apart from Jesus? How would we know that Jesus came to seek and to save the lost? How would we know that God heals the sick? How do we, would we know that God feeds the hungry? How, how do I know that my friend David, up in heaven right now, sees perfectly? We know because of Jesus. We know because Jesus healed the sick. We know because Jesus fed the hungry. We know because Jesus restored the sight to the blind. We know because Jesus forgave sins. To personalize it, we know that Jesus forgave our sins because he died on the cross in our place. In my place, condemned he stood. We know that we will live forever because Jesus rose again from the dead and we too will raise again from the dead when Jesus comes again to bring us to where he is. Jesus is the light of revelation. He shows us who we are. He shows us who he is, the light of the world who stepped down into darkness so that we sinners might step up into the light of of salvation the light of mercy the light of grace the light of hope there's more not only is jesus the light of revelation jesus is the light of navigation in other words jesus shows us how to live have you ever seen one of those uh, bumper stickers that they, they used to be very popular it, jesus is my co-pilot have you seen these? They're not very popular anymore because pastors have been preaching against them since like 1983. So eventually everyone got embarrassed and took those off their car, right? Well, in a, in a sense, it, it is not true that Jesus is our, is our co-pilot. He is the pilot. He's flying the plane. He's driving the car. But at the same time, it is true that Jesus is our navigator. Jesus navigates for us. Now again, he's the pilot, he's the navigator, he's the co-pilot, he's the grounds crew, he's the commander-in-chief. You can't put all of your theology in one bumper sticker. Maybe John MacArthur could, but normal people uh, cannot stuff it all in there. Back to the story. John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Do you hear what he's saying? He's saying because of sin, we walk in darkness. Because of sin, we are lost. Because of sin, we simply don't know where to go. But here is the good news. Jesus is the light of, of navigation. If you're confused about God's plan for your life, if you're confused about where God would have you go or what God would have you do, Here's a two-word answer. Follow Jesus. Here's a three-word answer. Follow the light. As Christians, we are followers of Jesus. That's what a disciple is. 
Now, sometimes we use the word believers to talk about what a disciple is, and that's important. As Christians, we are people who believe that Jesus is the Son of God. We are people who believe that we are sinners in need of God's grace. We are people who believe that we have the grace that we so desperately need through Jesus, who died for us on the cross. Absolutely true. But it doesn't stop there. The Christian life doesn't stop with believing. We who are believers in Jesus are also followers of Jesus. First we believe, then we follow. That's what the Christian life is all about. Jesus shows us where to walk. Jesus teaches us how to live. Jesus is the word of God. Jesus is the wisdom of God. And if we follow him, we will quickly discover that his word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Without Jesus, we would be stumbling around in the darkness. Without Jesus, we would not see clearly. But with him, we see clearly enough to run in the path of his commandments. C.S. Lewis, a great defender of the Christian faith, once wrote this, I believe, that Christi- I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. Not only is Jesus the light of revelation showing us who we are and who God is, Jesus is the light of navigation showing us how to navigate life in a fallen world. Our third word is celebration. Jesus is the light of celebration. Notice how the prophet Isaiah connects the two themes of light and joy in one of the most famous prophecies about the coming of Jesus Christ. He writes this in Isaiah chapter chapter 9. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation, you have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. What the prophet Isaiah is showing us is that light brings joy. We see this is true even in the natural world, do we not? When it's bright and sunny outside, we're happy. When it's cold and dank and and rainy, well, we feel sad. People wear dark colors to funerals and bright colors to weddings. Have you ever been to a surprise party? I have. What happens? The lights are all out. And everyone is hiding in the darkness. And then when the person whose birthday it is comes into the room, we turn on the lights and we yell surprise. Can you imagine doing it the other way around? (laughs) We lead a person into a light room. We turn off all the lights and say surprise. That would be weird. 
And it's weird because there's a, a spiritual, psychological, metaphysical connection between light and joy. Which is why, if you read the Christmas story, you will find that it is one of the brightest stories in all of Scripture. We have the shepherds who are out in the fields keeping watch over their flock by night. It's dark. And then the glory of the Lord shone round about them. The angels, the multitude of heavenly hosts, brought them into the light. We see it in the story of the, the wise men who followed the star from the east to where Jesus was. They followed the light in order to reach Jesus, the Messiah. The light of the world brings joy to Mary and Joseph and Zechariah and Elizabeth and uh, Anna and Simeon and the apostles and the disciples. And the light of the world brings joy to us today. If we believe. And so when John says Jesus is the light, he's teaching us something very, very important about the nature of life on this earth. He's saying that Jesus is the ultimate source of our joy. We were made to glorify and enjoy him. To receive the light of grace, the light of joy, the light of salvation, and then to reflect that light back to him and back to one another as we live life in this world. He is the light that brings joy to the world. If Jesus is the light of your world, you will have everlasting, eternal, irresistible joy. That leads us to our fourth word, last one, salvation. Jesus is the light of salvation. Now you would think that everyone would celebrate the light of the world. And yet sadly, that's not the case. In John chapter 3, John makes a very sobering observation he writes, for everyone who does wicked things, that includes us, hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. As the physical and spiritual children of Adam and Eve, we don't want God to know who we really are. We're terrified of stepping into the light. We're terrified of all of our sins and all of our failings being exposed for God and other people to see. Light reveals all the ways that we sin and fall short of the glory of God. We have a big problem, a sin problem, which is why we prefer living in the shadows. But here's the good news of Christmas. As people who have received the light of God's grace, we don't have to live in the shadows anymore. We don't have to live in the shadows of guilt and shame. For Jesus has taken it away. Our sins have been nailed to the cross. And so now the light which previously exposed our sin brings us joy and hope and peace. The light of condemnation has been transformed into the light of salvation. 
Jesus, who is the light of the world, not only stepped down into the sin and darkness of the world, he endured the thick, black darkness of hell on the cross. Remember when Jesus was crucified, in the middle of the day, the brightest part of the day, we are told that the sun stopped shining. He was completely cloaked in darkness. Jesus, the light of the world, completely cloaked in darkness as he died for our sins. Not only that, Jesus stepped further down into the darkness of the grave, a place that the Bible calls Sheol, the pit, the place of the dead. But the good news is that that's not the end of the story. On Sunday morning, Easter morning, the sun rose in the sky and the sun rose from the dead. The early morning sunshine greeted the women at the tomb and the sun of righteousness greeted the women at the tomb. Jesus went to the darkest place to bring us into the lightest place. That's probably what Jesus meant when he wrote, or what John meant when he wrote in verse 5, the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Uh, overcome it. He's thinking about the cross. He's thinking about the resurrection. He's thinking about the hope that we have through him. He's telling us that sin cannot and did not overcome Jesus. He's telling us that death cannot and did not overcome Jesus. And so if you are in Christ, believing in him and following him and walking in the light of his grace, sin and death will not overcome you. That's the message of Christmas. Jesus is the light who brings life to the world. Let's go to him in prayer. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that you stepped down into the darkness of our sin in order to redeem us. We thank you, Lord God, that the light of grace has shone upon us in the person of your Son, Jesus. For we pray this in his name. Amen.